0: a privilege for me to be able to share from God's Word, um, and especially to stand in for Craig this morning, as you know, who's not feeling too well, um, and we will continue to pray that the Lord might place his hand upon him, that as he continues to minister to us and amongst us, that he might know the Lord's touch and the Lord's healing, um, especially at a very challenging time as this. We know that there are many ways in which we can worship God. We do this through prayer. We do this sometimes through acts of service. We sometimes worship God through songs, through songs of praise, through songs of worship. Um, But we can sometimes also create memorials in order to worship God. We worship God through building structures like, church buildings. We worship God sometimes through specific celebrations. Sometimes we even set aside specific days um, as days on which to worship God, specific religious vacations. And I guess that there are also a number of other creative ways recorded for us in scripture and ways that we sometimes do use in order to worship God, sometimes through art, sometimes through dance, sometimes even through poetry, and I guess the list could go on. But we also know and we need to remind ourselves what the primary purpose of worship is. Indeed, the primary purpose of worship is to focus our attention upon God. And in doing that, we seek to express to God exaltation, adoration, veneration and everything else that we believe could express his divine worthship and that is where the word worship comes from the the idea of bestowing worth upon someone upon something and upon god but we do recognize that while that is The primary purpose of worship. That is and should be the primary purpose why it is we worship God. We we do recognize that worship sometimes does offer us a benefit. Worship does have an effect on us. Worship that is, as the Bible describes, in spirit and in truth, not only pleases God but is also described in the Bible um, in olfactory terms, not not old factory, you know, that that smells a particular way, but olfactory, meaning referring to the nasal passages. In fact, when you read the scriptures, and we know and I will remind you that there are times when worship that is pleasing to God is described described as something that is a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. You can read about this in the Bible in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 17, as well as in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And we know that there is nothing like the personal sense of satisfaction and fulfillment we can experience in that precious moment of worship. As I I do believe we have experienced this morning, that moment when heaven kisses earth. The result of that is what I would like to describe as a moment of spiritual upliftment, a moment of spiritual encouragement. And is that not something that we often need, especially at a time like this, a time of isolation, a time of separation due to this terrible pandemic that we have been experiencing, not being able to socialize or to worship corporately, as we have taken for granted maybe so many times. And then on top of that, to be burdened with the health challenges, the loss of income and the comforts from which we, we kind of have to admit we do receive sometimes a sense of security. All of these are factors of discouragement. And it is at times like these that I believe we do need encouragement. And while we know that we should not be dependent upon the, the temporal things of this world, And the age in which we are living in. Um, These things, we shouldn't be using them as the source of encouragement. But we must admit that they do affect us. And that their absence does result in feelings of discouragement. So the goal of the message that I would like to share with you today is hopefully to lead us to a divine source of encouragement, and that is in the book of the Psalms. You see, while there are many places in Scripture, and indeed, the entirety of the Scriptures, the Bible, um, there are many different places in the Scriptures where we can find and where we do find encouragement. Psalms is, for me, very different when it comes to The need for encouragement. You see, the book of Psalms is the music of the soul and is for the nourishment and for the encouragement of the soul. You see, while we read the Psalms today as poems, and indeed they were composed and they have been constructed as such, more specifically, they are religious poems we also need to appreciate, and we sometimes need to remind ourselves, that the Psalms were poems that were set to music, and they were something that were originally sung. Now, I don't know about you, but I find great upliftment in music, especially in the variety of styles that I personally enjoy, and and I do enjoy, a wide range of different types of music. Some of the musical pieces that I enjoy, and out of which I personally do find a great sense of encouragement and a great sense of upliftment, even sometimes spiritual upliftment, is in certain pieces of classical symphonies. You see, it was while I was in grade 9, that one of my accounting teachers, um, he, he actually helped me to appreciate the beauty of classical and Baroque music. You see, while it was that we were busy completing accounting exercises um, there in the classroom, he would be playing different um, classical pieces in the background. And then he would sometimes stop us and, and he would provide expositions. On some of these pieces of music, I remember him doing that with Vivaldi's Four Seasons, a beautiful piece of music. But I also recall one day, while we were busy and while I was engrossed into a trial balance, he once again stopped us and paused while he was playing the 1812 Overture. Of one named Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky. We know him as Peter Tchaikovsky. You see, the 1812 Overture was performed first in the Cathedral of Christ the Savior in Moscow in the year 1882 to both celebrate and to memorialize the invasion, um, or rather the Russian victory and the defense of the Russian motherland against the invasion of Napoleon's armies. If you've ever listened to it, it's 15 minutes long, the 1812 Overture. It's a dramatic piece that builds up into a climactic, or shall I use the musical term, it builds up into a crescendo of organized noise in which all four sections of the orchestra comes together. The, the The brass, the woodwind, the drums, the, the percussion, the strings, and he included cannon fire. And it has inspired this 1812 overture, national anthems as well as a number of other patriotic hymns that accompanies fireworks displays like the Americans will do today. On this, the Independence Day. You see, the Psalms has been correctly described as the hymn book of the Bible. That while we today have lost the musical score that would have accompanied the Psalms, and in fact, as we read the Psalms, you will, you will sometimes encou- encounter some terms, some words, some descriptions that, that, that were used as part of the ancient Eastern world that are musical terms um, and sometimes a reference to the tunes that would have accompanied the pieces of the Psalms. We have today those words, those words of life, those religious poems, those flowery words that capture a variety of themes and that also serve a variety of purposes. But ultimately, a purpose of worship that would bring us a deep sense of encouragement. You see, as you read the Psalms, you will discover that there are Psalms for all occasions. You see, when we are sad, we can lament with the psalmist. When we are glad, we can rejoice with the psalmist. When we are contemplative, when we are relaxed, when we desire to be meditative, when we are grateful, you see, no matter what, even when we are discouraged, we can connect with God through the Psalms. See and for me personally. No personal time of devotion. Is complete. Without having read at least one Psalm. You see no matter what part of the Bible. Or no matter what activity. I might um, be involved in. You know as I seek to, to become spiritually nourished, For me all of those activities is incomplete. Without having read a psalm. Unless, of course, psalms has been the focus of my attention or the focus scripture of my devotion. And so some of these psalms, psalms of encouragement, are indeed my favorites. So while I will reflect on maybe two specific psalms today, that have greatly encouraged me, and it is my prayer that as I share these with you today, you may also be encouraged. Allow me also to set maybe the broader context that would help us to not only appreciate, but also to understand many of these Psalms that would hopefully empower you that as you find yourself maybe now, like we, like we all do, separated from you know, the normal activities that would help us, um, when we would gather um, together as a church for corporate worship and, and occasions when we would be able to meet, whether it is in life groups or in some of the other activities of the church, and there find our encouragement. Maybe what I share with you today might help you that if you do feel the need for encouragement, as we all sometimes do, that through this information, it might help you to find deeper encouragement as you also engage the psalms. So we know that the psalms is a hymn book, the hymn book of the Bible, formulated as religious poems that would have been set to music. The entire collection of the 150 psalms are actually organized in five books that some believe um, is a reflection ...of the five books of the Torah, you know, there seems to be some connection to the first five books of the Bible... ...that Jews would refer to as the books of the Torah, um, that seems to reflect um, these different divisions in the Psalms. I don't know, you know, there is, I think, a level of truth to that. But maybe the five books is to reflect uh, the, the, the different time periods when the Psalms were collected... when they they were collated and ultimately canonized into what we have today as the Bible, what we call the Scriptures. When you look at these five books of the Psalms, you will also discover that there are actually five major types of Psalms, namely hymns, and these would normally be the Psalms that would characteristically call us to focus our attention upon God in worship. Then there would also be what we call royal psalms. These are psalms that will normally make reference to the king or make reference to the monarchy. And, and these psalms, the, the so-called royal psalms, is often the seedbed for messianic prophecies um, in the Bible. Then we have the psalms of individual lament. And these psalms would often reflect um, the call and the cry of those will face personal calamity. There are also communal laments, um, occasions when the congregation or indeed the entire nation of Israel would come before the Lord and they would weep. And finally, there are the Psalms that we enjoy so much. The Thanksgiving Psalms. The psalms that present opportunities for us to engage with the psalmist and out of our own circumstances, no matter what they may be, to offer that as a thanksgiving offering to God. Now, as you engage into these different types of psalms, you will also discover that there are also what we might call seven minor types of psalms. I'm not going to be getting into all of the details of what is called the minor psalms, uh, um, the, the, the minor types, um, but, but basically the minor types are um, specific ways of looking at some of the major psalms and recognizing some of the additional themes. Um, that is often celebrated within these psalms. So, for example, if ever, whenever a psalm makes reference to Zion, to Mount Zion, the, the dwelling place of God, um, those psalms will be called as well a Zion psalm. But you see, one of the most important keys to understanding the psalms is to appreciate the major characteristic of Hebrew poetry. You know, I, I know that for many of us, you know, as we were, we were maybe going through school, um, especially high school, having to read poetry. You know, not everybody likes poetry. Not everybody likes to engage in flowery language and trying to understand, you know, what it means. You know, because it can sometimes be just so confusing. But you see, it is when we begin to understand what are the features and the characteristic of a poem, it helps us to be able to appreciate it more and and its message impacts us very deeply. And the same is true for the Psalms because the Psalms have actually been written according to a particular style. And the dominant style, the dominant feature, the dominant characteristic that we have to appreciate as we read the Psalms that will help us in our understanding of the Psalms is this feature of Hebrew poetry called parallelism. Now what it basically means is this is that whenever you read a psalm, whenever you read this piece of poetry, you have to watch and you have to recognize that consecutive verses, one verse following the other verse, actually intentionally relates to the preceding verse in a particular way. So sometimes you will discover that one consecutive verse might either say the same thing, that had already been said, but maybe say it in a different way, (coughs) sometimes a consecutive verse will build on what a previous verse has said. Sometimes it will actually say the opposite. Sometimes it will actually invert what has been said previously. But it is this stylistic feature, this characteristic feature that marks Old Testament poetry, together with many of the other things that we are familiar with, word pictures, metaphors, similes, and rhyming patterns that are part and parcel of the Psalms, that as we recognize these features and as we read the Psalms, its meaning begins to become clear and it begins to impact us. (coughs) So in fact, Many modern translations of the Bible, like if you read the New International Version and you read the Psalms, you will see that the the way in which the psalm is structured um, is sensitive to these connections between the verses. Um, And so the, the verses of the Psalms will be printed in certain groupings that will help us to understand that these verses are connected in some way. And it is through making those connections we are able to understand the psalms. But then having shared this, allow me then to take you through a psalm that I have personally, in circumstances like these, found greatly encouraging. And that is Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is classified as a Thanksgiving psalm. And the reason for that is as you read the psalm, you will see that the word to give thanks or thanksgiving is repetitively expressed. And in fact, it is the very word that is used today in modern Hebrew to just simply say thank you. Psalm 107, the first three verses establishes the very foundation for why it is and why we have to give thanks to God. Give Thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Older translations, you will remember, says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those he, those He redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those He gathered from the lands, from east and west from north and south. You see, what the psalmist is doing here in these first three verses is to lay down and to establish the major theme of the psalm. A psalm that not only encourages us that no matter what the circumstances, to constantly give thanks to God, but to highlight for us the chief and the main reason why that is the case. He is Love endures forever. See, the corporate worship life of Israel made provision for both individual as well as communal expressions of thanksgiving. Some psalms will have the heading identifying it as a thanksgiving psalm, while others will state its purpose as part of the psalm, and that is what happens in Psalm 107. You see, even a thanksgiving psalm will often be patterned with an introduction. And in the introduction, the intention for giving thanks is declared. Then, the thanksgiving psalm will follow with an explanation of a specific problem or circumstance as as the reason for calling out to God. This will then be followed by an acknowledgement of God's ability to provide um, um, for, for that request, um, and we know that sometimes God causes us to wait, you know, while we while we make those requests. But sometimes the psalmist will acknowledge that the Lord does answer immediately, and then that will be, then be stated. That will be the acknowledgement in the psalm, and then finally there will be an announcement of thanksgiving. So in that sense, Psalm Psalm one hundred and seven is indeed a classic. Thanksgiving Psalm. That some have also described an historical Psalm. And the reason for that is as you begin to read the Psalm, we, it becomes very clear that there are a number of historical references, a number of historical circumstances that are hinted at while we read the Psalm. And while the Psalm doesn't necessarily identify specifically, or exactly what those historical circumstances are, it does seem that the psalm reflects something of not only the lived experience of the nation of Israel, but that it might also be making references to specific times within the history in which God came through for them, in which God brought them encouragement, and that became a reason for them to give thanks. You see the NIV, the way in which Psalm 107 is structured, you will see it indicates seven sections. But you see in these seven sections that presents um, Psalm 107, something of like a Dagwood sandwich, you know. you like you're not No Dagwood sandwich is my favorite sandwich by the way, besides Gatsby. Um, but in a Dagwood, you know, you'll find all the nice things that you would like there to be in a sandwich, you know, and so you begin to appreciate all those different parts, you know. Or maybe I should, you know, in keeping with the metaphor, you know, describe Psalm 107, something like the symphony, you know, this orchestra of all the different sections coming together, describing not only circumstances with which we are familiar with, but then asking us and encouraging us to look beyond the circumstances and look to God and to give Him thanks You see, but what the psalm does is to present us with four word pictures within those seven sections. I won't have time to look at all of those four word pictures. I will encourage you, as you maybe spend time this week in reading the psalm, that you would read all of them. Let me just maybe share um, two of them in a little bit more detail and then make reference to the other two. So from verse 4. The Psalms records, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. For He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. You see, this section of the psalm resembles the historical lived experiences says of the nation of Israel as is seen to reflect their wilderness wanderings following the exodus from Egypt. You see, the, the wonder and the amazement of, God, of, of, of the Lord's miraculous liberation um, of them from slavery, we know, was soon met by the challenge and the desperation of the path to the promised land being through the wilderness. You see, it was for them an emotional roller coaster ride. The high of the dramatic escape from the from the land of safe slavery, from the land of Egypt, is followed by the low of facing the Red Sea, and then that is followed by the high of safe passage, miraculously through the Red Sea, followed again by the low of entering into the wilderness. And is that not often true of, of our own lives? Our lives, especially at a time like this, can be described as an emotional roller coaster of highs and lows, personally, but especially spiritually. And then the realization that we can only reach our promised land of, of maybe the new normal beyond this terrible pandemic. We can only do that if we are willing to learn the lessons of this wilderness experience. Yet, as the people of God, they did what was the best response to the experience and to the reality of the barrenness of the wilderness. In that experience, the psalm and each four section, each four word picture makes this very clear. They cried To the Lord in their trouble. And each of the sections of the psalm also also affirms the reason why the Lord responds. This beautiful term that is described, that is translated for us within this passage, because of his unfailing love. You see, this, this term is a is a very, very important concept within the Old Testament. You know, like we will sometimes describe in the New Testament, God's unconditional love for us through that word agape. You know, there are different words used to describe love and what the experience of love could entail in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we find similar terminology, different terms. Now, the term used here is not actually that equivalent that we we find described in the New Testament, God's unconditional love. God's agape, um, 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 as we will often recall it. Here, there is a a deep but also another variation of that word being used. You see, the, the, the word used here to describe love is love that comes out of a relationship. God's covenant relationship with his people in which God having chosen his people as his own people um, sets in place with them the conditions of that relationship and it is out of that relationship because they are connected that God responds to his people lovingly. You see, the psalm demonstrates how the Lord can and does respond in accordance to their need. It's like a child going to his or her parent and asking, making a request. And the parent lovingly responding because of that relationship and saying, my child, it is because I love you that I do this for you, that I give you this gift. See, it is from that that we can take encouragement That even in our desert experiences, we will see the Lord feeding our hunger and quenching our thirst, even during a time such as this. The psalmist continues from ten: Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains. Because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So, he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their darkness. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. In drawing the the, the, the message to a close, um, we've looked at the first two word pictures here within Psalm 107. Um, That describes the experience of God's people finding themselves in situations of difficulty, situations of challenge. Not only the wilderness experience following the Exodus, um, but also having settled in the land, um, living out um, the pattern of what God required of them, um, being disobedient and having to go through the humiliation of the exile. Um, and so that's what the that's what the second section um, referred to but it's it is this pattern of dire circumstances that is repeated in the other two contexts the other two word pictures that we find recorded in verses 17 through to verses 22 um, that describes those who live in rebellion to God as well as verses 23 to 33 to 38, describing those coming, going about their daily lives and, and engaged in their daily trade, their, 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 their daily toil, and, and in those circumstances, finding themselves facing tragedy, finding themselves facing loss, finding themselves in a situation that is not pleasant. But you see, what the psalmist does here is to emphasize that the sun and the rain Indeed falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, but it is only those who cry out to the Lord in their calamity who experiences his unfailing love with tangible evidences of his deliverances see so in verses twenty two uh, verses seventeen through to twenty two the need is for healing both physical and spiritual healing and the Lord responds and the people gives thanks. In verses 23 to 32, there is a need for peace, protection, and blessing. And then in verses 33 to 42, the psalmist celebrates the blessing that the Lord bestows upon those who are patient in their cry to him. But the entire psalm And its purpose is summarized in that last verse, verse 43. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. You see, dear friends, there is a real sense in which we, I think where we find ourselves today, can identify with the psalmist as well as the circumstances elaborated within the content of the psalm. We may be downtrodden, burdened, overwhelmed by the tragedies of our common lived experiences today. Sometimes this may be the result of our own choices, but also despite the best choices that we sometimes do make, we can still find ourselves in these situations. You see, like Job, we may be struggling with not knowing why bad things happen to good people. But at the end of the day, the psalmist calls upon us to remain focused, not only on our circumstances, but beyond our circumstances to the one, the only one who is ultimately good to cry out to the Lord and to experience his unfailing love. It is my prayer that this truth may continue to encourage you, may continue to encourage us as it has often encouraged me. You see, when I sit down and sometimes when I feel burdened, when I feel uncertain about what to do, and I maybe turn to a piece of music, you know, and and go through the drama that often unfolds and and experience that music impacting my sense of well-being within my spirit, as we might, might say it. I like it when that music builds up to a crescendo like the 1812 overture and it ends with this great big celebration. In fact, there's a sense in which maybe the five sections of the book of Psalms is like what Peter Tchaikovsky did. Took those four sections of the symphony and added the fifth artillery cannon fire, (laughs) Uh, you know, and in my mind, I see these fireworks playing out, and what is that? A picture beyond the current circumstances that we face of God's unfailing love, and so as we close today, I want to do it by reading another psalm that I've often found, and I do hope would be meaningful to you. For the director of music of the Sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts His voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I pray that today and tomorrow and the rest of the week as you read the Psalms, you might find in it encouragement. The Lord bless you.